Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Okay, let's stop sharing that. <laughs> That's good. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? Hopefully you can hear me and maybe somebody can comment in if they hear me. Um, I had a little fun there. That was an audio feedback loop <laughs> during the song. Um, anyway, so I had my I had YouTube up on one screen, making sure I was coming through that the, it was coming through on YouTube. Good. Thank you, Bernadette, for letting me know that you hear me. Um, and unfortunately, then I was hearing that feedback and other clicks, and it was interesting. But <laughs> I think we've got past it now when I am here. I see that Smile's on, Bernadette's on. Pam, how you doing? Bernadette is on there again. Oh, I'm just reading multiple things. And Winnie, it's good to hear you guys. It's um, so glad to have you online. Thank you very much. And I'm back. Uh, many of you were here yesterday, and I'm so glad to have you back again. Um, you know, this one's going to be a little looser. Um, not that the other one wasn't loose, but uh, no guests this time. I'm just going to talk, going to do a little bit of an intro, talk through a few things, and then lead into our mailbag like we did before. I have some things I'd be happy to share, but also just want to um, get your feedback and, you know, talk about different things and see what's going on. So I see uh, New York, New York just piped in with a question. So that's great. I want to get to those in a little bit. And I promise I'll try to come back and get the questions you're posting now. But just so you know, I'm going to spend the first 10 minutes or so doing an intro. And then I will start getting to the questions and comments. So just wanted to give you that feedback. This is IMD, in case I didn't say that up front. And welcome to episode 94 of the Benzo Free Podcast. 94. Four. Jeez. I keep thinking a hundreds around the corner, so it won't be long here till we hit a hundred. Who knows what that'll mean? Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, what whatever it is you are celebrating, winter solstice during this time. I just hope everybody is enjoying it and um, finding some joy through everything else that we have to dig through and come out on top from because. It's been a rough year for everyone, even those who aren't in benzo withdrawal. And for those of us dealing with that, it's even, even harder, I think. So anyway, this is the second night of our holiday podcast live. And if you didn't check out part one, we broadcast it yesterday at the same time. Please feel free to go back and check that out. Um, you can actually find direct links to both of these right on our website at easinganxiety.com. They're right there at the top of the homepage. So just go there, click on one, it'll take you right to the YouTube link. For some reason in YouTube, it's weird, but um, live events don't show with all the other videos. So it's, you know, you think once you did a live event or especially once it was done and recorded, it would just pop over on the regular video list um, for our channel, but it doesn't seem to do that. So I'm sending out direct links so everybody can find it. 
Oh, I am here. I'm doing pretty good. It was a crazy day around here. I went chair shopping with my sister. Um, she has some health problems. We wanted to find a good chair that would help help her with her issues. And she's in Kansas City here where I'm at now. And so, but it was really nice. Um, one of the things we both have learned and I've learned throughout time is that when, um, and this kind of feeds into something else we're going to talk about, when family Family, family stuff. Uh, family could be hard. I think many of us know that relationships are hard. And I've seen so many families fall apart, especially during difficult times like um, the care that my parents have had to be in and losing a parent like my, like my mom a few weeks ago. When the estate comes due, when other things happen, I just see it tearing apart. It tore apart some cousins of mine. It tore apart cousins of my of my wife's and those are two families that just aren't talking to each other and I knew I didn't want that so I was really proud of my sister and I'm proud of both of us that we are consciously making sure that we are putting our relationship first and everything else second and um that's good so when you know I'm dealing with most of the finances when I deal with the finances and taking care of my parents care and stuff like that I make sure she knows about everything and as she's going through things at the house, when we're getting the house ready for sale, she made sure I knew everything. And um, I, I'm not grateful that my cousins <laughs> went through that, but I'm grateful that we learned from it. We learned from seeing that thing. So, so anyway, I had a really good day with my sister. We had some lunch. So we found her a chair and um, that was really good. So, so it's been a good day. And I came back here, did some prep for the, for the second podcast and not too much because I like kind of just seeing what's going on and um, wanted to move forward. I do have one topic I thought in the introduction that I might talk about. So let me see if I can bring it up. I'll see if I can bring it up in a better fashion than I did last time. Of course, I probably just closed out that browser, didn't I? Of course I did. <laughs> so let me bring up a new browser here. You don't mind as I do this, I hope. And we are gonna share that one. Let's see if we can share that screen. And here we go. Everybody sees we have Google up. There we go. And I am going to go into here to benzo.org.uk. And here is the Ashton Manual. Many of you know about this, um, but you know I don't talk about it enough. I'm not going to talk a lot about the manual. I actually want to talk about this site for a minute, and I'll show you why in a second. But um, every now and then I do want to go back and talk about the Ashton Manual a little bit because. It, it's that important. And if you, if anybody out there is listening to this and hasn't discovered it and is dealing with benzodependence at all, please go check it out. It's, it's, I think it's key. It got me through this. It's gotten probably 90% of the people that had any kind of um, information to go through benzo withdrawal. This is the, this is what people have been using. So it's, um, it's one of those things that I think is extremely valuable. But this is posted on Ray Nimmo's site. It's, um, called benzo.org.uk and it's been around for a long, long time. It hasn't been updated in a, a lot lately, but what prompted this was, I often am asked, it's like, why isn't more being done about benzos? Why haven't more people, um, you know, got more information? Why hasn't more research been done? Why aren't more doctors paying attention? Um, why haven't there been more lawsuits and all those questions? And I try to always answer them to the best of my knowledge, but I don't always know that answer. This is one of those places just to show you what has been done. 
if you go here to benzo.org, if we back up a little bit to the opening, this is where you cut to if you just type in benzo.org.uk and you get this page. You can see here you can learn about Professor Ashton, go to the Ashton Manual. We have an FAQ, get media, there's litigation information support. But if I go here to archive, I'm going to see all kinds of stuff. I dug around here when I was writing my book um, four or five years ago when I was doing the initial research on it and was looking for information. And I was just blown away with the archived information here. Like one of the key questions people often ask is litigation. Or it's actually, legit, I mean, litigation, so lawsuits. And I was thinking, well, I, I mentioned Lord Montague was one that actually won, you know, a little over a million dollars, million pounds in the UK. Um, some other people have done it. Some people have been successful, most haven't. And I was thinking, well, if only I had gone here, I would have pulled it up. Um, that's a symptom list, wrong one. Let's go here to litigation. Here and here, you can see this list. Now, this has not been updated probably since 2015, but you can see here all these different um, lawsuits that have come out. Doctors sued for creating volume addicts. Benzo victim successfully sues doctor surgery. Benzo sufferer receives $640 a week in compensation. These are, and in fact, I think Lord Montague's is on here. Yep, right here, 1.35 million pounds settlement. And I'm showing this to show you, to show you that not, it's, not that it's about lawsuits, but that all the information is out here. This is just one piece. If you wanted to know more about, say, um, what the doctors are, are saying and what doctors and experts have talked about benzos, here's, here's Ashton, here's later, here's other doctors that have done research. Here is, are some letters and some publications by them, all on benzodiazepines over the years. There is so much information. And half the time when you go to one of these sites, and you bring it up, it drills down to more information. Here's Australia, New Zealand information. And if you click on one of these, a lot of time it leads to more, more um, links and more content. It's, it's out there. The problem is we have so few people who have the time to put all this together, to really go and comb and organize it. Um, it's something I would love to do. I just haven't had the time. I, you know, but I, I really want to be let. Ray Nimmo and all the other organizers in the Benzo community know how grateful we are for the work that's been done before we came along. And there has been a lot of work done before that. And I think that's something important for us to keep in mind is that it's not that we haven't done this work when people are asking about, you know, why hasn't more been done? It's just that it's such an uphill climb. For 60 years now, the medical establishment has been has learned and has been taught that benzodiazepines have little you know, effect, little negative effect, especially long-term. And this really came up, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a couple of research papers. I'm one of the authors on a couple of them. And one of the ones we're working on is based off the benzo survey that ran a few years ago with Christy Huff and Jane McCubrey. And um, as we're going through that data, one of the things I found when I was doing the analysis and I thought was really interesting was some of the symptoms that we're showing. And I'm not gonna go into that because we, this is possibly gonna be published one time, so I can't share that data. But what I noticed from it was there were certain symptoms that seemed to only last days or weeks and certain symptoms that seemed to last months or years. And the ones that last days or weeks are often the ones that the doctors are taught about. Well, if that's the case, then it makes sense why a lot of doctors believe our symptoms only last days or weeks because they're only looking for specific symptoms. They're not told about the long-term symptoms that so many of us are dealing with. 
And I think that's part of the problem. And by researching this and finding out this information, the surveys and other stuff that we're doing and getting more papers published, which we're working on all the time, we're going to start changing that. We're going to find out how to get our message across to the doctors. And I think that's a good direction we need to go. Um, one of the things that comes up, actually, Winnie just typed in. This is great. So this becomes a conversation. That's where I was hoping this goes to, Winnie. Thank you so much. So Winnie wrote in and said, but when we tell our doctors, they tell us to not to read the Internet. Great point. I think that's perfect. And, and you're right. Um, and I get it. And I get it. Now, I'm not defending the doctors. And I know I sometimes come across that way because I'm not trying to. What I'm trying to say is there's a lot of great doctors who do get it and are working with this. There are also a lot that are very stubborn and um, aren't willing to accept new information. But also from the doctor's standpoint, they get patients coming into them all the time saying, well, I read this on the internet. I think I have this, or I think I have this symptom. I must have this. So I get from their side that it's, um, it can be tiring. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying I can get where that might come from, where that might be tiring when people keep coming and saying, I know what I have. I know the symptom. When it comes to benzos, that's why I always try to make sure um, we take in information that is from medical sources, the Ashton Manual, um, the article written, Yes, Benzos Are Bad For You by Alan Francis, who was, you know, Professor Emeritus at um, Duke University, um, psychiatrist, a physician, I think. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, some of the paperwork that we just put up on our website at um, benzo.org, not, I'm sorry, back that up <laughs> um, on the, let me, let me type this in here and bring it up. Here's one of the things I think we can kind of focus on. I'm bringing up our, our Benzo Action Work Group information real quick. And maybe this might help some. And I'll come back to the questions here. Okay, hopefully you can see this. This is the Colorado Consortium for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention. This is the group that the Benzo Action Work Group, which I'm a co-chair on, is a subgroup of. And on this page, one of the things we did work on over the last year is coming up with some documentation. And we have on here some peer support guidance documents and some de-prescribing documents, de-prescribing meaning withdrawal. We also are working on prescribing documents, and these are for physicians of how to prescribe the drugs. Those will also be um, up here soon. We're just doing a couple of fine tweaks, but one of the things about these documents is that we're getting them certified or actually endorsed, I guess is a better word, by so many um, different organizations. Right now, this is already endorsed by the Center for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention at the University of Colorado and the Colorado Consortium. And this talks about several different bulbs, about tapering, about um, long-term consequences. And the best part is, let me zoom in a little bit, on the very bottom of it, we have our references. And this is what speaks to physicians. For those of you who know how it works, is they want to see things that are backed by studies, and studies from reputable journals, and that's what they're looking for. So I, I, I truly believe that as we start to pull these up, like when I wrote my book, I knew I had to, I think I had, you know, 400 references I pulled from and wound up with a bibliography of over 150 because that's what they want to see. So in fact, even here's a reference right here from um, Christy Huff on informed consent. She's one of the people I worked. She's a physician, a cardiologist. But what I'm trying to say is that we are trying to get this kind of documentation out to the medical community. And we are going to try to get this further in, um, endorsed by other organizations, hopefully by some federal organizations. And these documents then can become 
something that we use in our conversations, in our presentations, while we're speaking. It's a long process, but we are making strides. And this is, I think, one of the things that speaks more to physicians. Unfortunately, as soon as we say the word internet, um, most doctors seem to, you know, stop listening to us. And it can be incredible frustrating. I mean, please understand that I know because I went through it too. I went back to my doctor that prescribed it to me and he told me I could stay on these and that it wasn't a problem and he wouldn't help me withdraw. I had to find another doctor who also believed I can stay on them, but was willing to help me withdraw if I so choose. And I showed him the information I had. I showed him the Ashton manual and he said he was willing to work with me. That's how I came off. It wasn't that I just had a doctor who suddenly knew. We had to train them. And I know so many of you who have had to teach your doctor. To me, the most important thing was finding a doctor who will listen, who will work with you. And even if you say, look, I understand you may believe differently, but I want to do this. Will you help me? It can go a long way. Let's see what people are writing in. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Winnie wrote in and said, I, um, the doctors have no idea that the benzos affect the peripheral nervous system. Yeah, they're just catching on to that one. That's a really good point, Winnie. Um, central nervous system is usually the only the primary one that they refer to, but we have the evidence now that the peripheral nervous system and mitochondria even are affected by benzodiazepine long-term use. So um, here's something that uh, Bernadette actually wrote in and said, Dr. Huff is doing so much better. Not sure if she considers herself healed. I don't think Christy thinks she's healed yet. Um, I think she's still dealing with some ongoing symptoms. She's had some other health things she's been dealing with lately. So that always complicates it. Whenever we go through other health complications, whether it's a cold, a flu, surgery, or something else, or an injury, unfortunately, if we're still in protracted withdrawal, as many of you know, that can set us off. It can set us off in a wave. So, um, but right now, I think she's doing great. And I think she still has symptoms, much like I do. But she's one of those people who is still in protracted withdrawal. And we're just kind of, hanging on there and doing the best we can. Let me get back to the script. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit on those. We talked about that. Um, let me just tell you my intro stuff and then we'll get to the straight up mailbag. This is a live show I mentioned. We just had the introduction, which I just did, which I rambled a bit, but that's okay. Um, and we're doing mailbag live, which is from your questions and comments. And of course, what you might feed here in the chat room as we go along. And before we move on, please, I would love to hear from you. I always do. Oh, see, and I have to multitask here. So how do I put that up? There it is. Oh, yeah, there's my website. Um, <laughs> please comment on YouTube, podcast posts, our feedback form um, at our website at easinganxiety.com. You can go there or do easinganxiety.com slash feedback. And while you're there, perhaps you might want to subscribe. You can do that also at easinganxiety.com. And you can do slash subscribe if you choose to go there or slash donate. If you would like to help out, every little bit helps with the work we do. And please keep in mind that the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. I want to make sure I always get that one in because that is critical. So let's move on to our feature, our mailbag live. I don't know if Smile is on still. Smile, if you're there, let me know. But I was going to share a comment that she shared with me. or so, I think it's she. I'm not sure. I think it's she. But um, And it shared with me. And I wanted to um, share it here, if it's OK. So, But since it was on YouTube, it's a public forum. So what, what um, Smile posted there is OK for me to share. 
but I thought it was something interesting and I wanted to address it here. So um, I don't see any piping in, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. This is what Smile wrote yesterday, and this was on a post I did a long time ago called My Benzo Story. In fact, I think it was my second podcast that we did when we first launched the the um, Benzo Free podcast. It was basically just My Benzo Story is what it sounds like. Anyway, um, this is what Smile wrote in response, and I wanted to share this with you. But I'm going to be honest here for a minute, so brace yourself. And this is, of course, in reference to my story. You had a wife and family that supported you. You had a doctor willing to work with you, even prior knowledge of benzodiazepines and possible withdrawal symptoms. Yet you had it so bad. What about those of us who didn't have any of those things and were forced into a cold turkey withdrawal from clonopin, a drug taken for decades, along with my cocktail of other meds, without the mention of one single withdrawal symptom we may experience? and left to die at home alone. Abandoned by my entire family, my husband, and everyone inside the medical field. And when I left a burner on the stove on, uh, left a burner on the stove on due to severe cognitive impairment following my CT withdrawal, again, only to have my house burned to the ground, leaving me homeless for almost a year. I would have given a million dollars to have what you had, while I was being mentally tortured almost, while I was being mentally tortured almost to death and discarded like old trash by everyone. Yes, I, tr I, am, I truly am happy for this channel. Yes, I get angry once in a while and I'm not going to apologize for it. So that was from Smile and I just kind of wanted to respond to it. Um, first of all, I am so sorry for what she went through. And you have every right to be angry. You have every right to be frustrated. And you have every right to be upset. This is horrible for so many people. Um, I never on this channel have claimed that my case was the worst one, nor would I. I'm probably, I'm on the extreme end because mine has been protracted for seven years. But there are so many people that have had far worse um, issues with this. In fact, some people, friends of mine who are still working with it. I never claimed that my case was the worst, um, but many have also had it harder at times, including some who did not make it. And I've had friends who I've met through the podcast or just friends of mine who are no longer with us. I've seen the horrific side of this and I have lived some of it. Um, one thing I would want to correct is you had mentioned that even prior, I had even prior knowledge of benzodiazepines. That's not correct. I had no knowledge of benzodiazepines when I got into this. I went researching them because I had learned that I had been taking them when a doctor finally told me I should come off them. And I went on the internet that night to learn what's going on, read the horror stories, had a major panic attack, and had to start to learn about what this drug was. So just one correction on that. So that's how I went through it. I didn't know what I was taking. I took it for 12 years, was never told that there was any dependence or any problem with it. So I get that part too. That's what I went through. As do, do I have somebody with me to go through it? Absolutely. My wife has been my rock and I am incredibly blessed to have her by my side and stick with me through this. Was it always easy for her, for me and for us? No, we had a lot of problems along the way, um, but she's still here and I am grateful for that. Has my life been easy? God, no. Um, many of you know this year has been the second worst year of my life, probably only second to my first year of benzo withdrawal. 
because I lost my mom and I had to watch both my parents. Um, I had to put them both into memory care. I had to actually tell my mom she could no longer see my dad after being married for 60 some years because she was upsetting him and his condition. And then she wound up taking a downturn because of that and didn't come out of it. And eight months later, she was she passed away. And I had to deal with that in protracted withdrawal. It's not easy. But I never once wanted anybody to believe that I'm putting myself out there as the worst case because I am not. I know people who are polydrugged who I can't imagine what they're going through. I had one drug to come off of. And I am so grateful that I got off that one drug. But for so many people, that's not the case. They have multiple medication, multiple psych medications, and it complicates it so much. So many of you are alone and have nobody there besides you um, to support you. And I can't imagine what that's like. So please, for any of you, don't assume that I'm ever saying my situation was the worst. I'm not. I share my situation because it connects with you. That's why I do this. That's the only reason. The more I share, the more people seem to respond to me and say, yes, I had that. Yes, I get that. Thank you so much that you understand. Okay. I had a hell of a time. I didn't think I was going to make it many days. Um, I still have symptoms. I still now live with severe limitations, ones that I don't always even share. Um, but I am also so much better than I was. I have healed a lot and I am very positive about my future. But most of that was just an attitude change for me. I had to accept what happened to me as bad as it was. I had to figure out what's the best way to try to change this for others and to help others going through that and how to move on. And that's what I did. So enough about me. Um, I wanted to share that, though, and I am very grateful for the smile for actually sharing that with us on, on YouTube comments. I know that wasn't hard, it wasn't easy to say. Um, and I value that. The critical feedback, I welcome because um, I do screw up on this and I do make assumptions and I do make mistakes. So please don't feel like you can't say things like that to me. I'm okay. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Trust me. Um, I am happy to, to give you feedback on that. So let's go back to our comments here and see what we got. Um, I see, see. I don't always know here if people are commenting to other people who are commenting. So but sometimes you're asking questions. So if you have questions or comments or things you want to share, please start piping them in now and I'll, I will look for them. Um, I think Bernadette and Winnie are talking to each other. I did this before on the very first um, live stream I did for the podcast. And I started responding to conversations that people were having between themselves via the chat room. So this is what I did. And I'm going to do this here too. If you have something for me specifically, started out with D dash or something, or just, you know, put D with some space after it or something. And I'll know that that's meant for me and you were writing to me. Otherwise, feel free to write amongst yourselves. I love that you all are talking back and forth. Let's go to another one out of the mailbag here. Oh, this one is from, oh, what do we got here? Here we go. There's a new one chat room. See, I know if I asked that, Winnie would come through. Thank you, Winnie. Dee, did you have sinus issues? Um, I didn't notice for me personally sinus issues directly associated um, with benzodiazepines. I do have sinus issues, um, but I had those prior to the drug use. 
I have heard a few people talking about sinus issues related. Um, and it makes sense. Again, like we've talked about before, this medication affects everything we do. So I, I get that. But as for me personally, no, um, there are definitely symptoms on here. I can't talk to as much. I had many of them, but like DPTR, um, I had that very mild, if at all. Um, sinus issues, I can't say I did. I've had, you know, other issues. Um, I didn't have menstrual cramps. So, you know, I can't really speak to that. <laughs> so there are things that I can't talk to um, directly, but it doesn't mean that they don't happen. What I can do is respond to the, you know, hundreds of people who have shared with me and say, you know, I have heard this and this is what I've heard. Um, but I have heard about sinus issues for some people, but I directly haven't dealt with that. So, but thanks for the question. Um, let's go to Bernadette here. Bernadette wrote in and said, D, how's, how's nerve pain gone? I'm not sure what you're, what you're meaning there, Bernadette. You want to explain that a little further for me? Um, is it something I was saying you're commenting on or are you... Um, I don't know. I'll give her a second here to see if she writes back and gives me a little more explanation on that. Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Wow, it's already 730. I feel like I've been talking forever, which I have been. Um, I don't know. I'll wait a little bit. And when she writes back, we'll, we'll tackle that one. But let me go up here to one. This is on muscle muscle twitches, waking at night. Um, this is from Susan in Manchester, England. She wrote, thank you so much for your podcast, which I discovered just yesterday. I have throughout the last eight years been prescribed Clonopin, Ambien, and Trazodone due to the loss of my best friend accompanied with extreme anxiety and insomnia. This summer, I successfully weaned off both Ambien and the Trazodone and have started titrating off Clonopin. The prescribing doctor has not been helpful at all with this process and actually told me I could stop trazodone cold turkey, which I didn't do. I have noticed a very scary incident of pins and needles and muscle twitches in my legs and muscle twitches which wake me at night. I have fears of other life-shortening nerve diseases, but I'm hopeful after listening to a few of your podcasts that as I heal from the use of these drugs, the muscle issues will subside. I'm also seeing my primary in the next week. It just seems that most doctors do not have full information regarding these drugs and their long-term effects. Thank you for any feedback you can offer. And thank you, Susan, so much for that question that came in. Um, absolutely, of course, regarding the doctors, we just talked about that. And I think we all understand where that issue is. And that is, honestly, finding a doctor is probably the most common question I get is how do I find a doctor who can help me? But regarding the pins and needles and the muscle twitches, very, very common symptoms. I did have a lot of muscle. Um, I had twitching. I had tremors. I had pins and needles. Um, I have paresthesia, which is more nerve, but also muscles. I have twitching of the eyelid a lot. Um, had that for about six months straight, where my eyelid, left eyelid, would keep twitching. Um, it, again, it's a nerve issue, usually tied with the muscles, but also don't forget that most of the benzodiazepines are excellent muscle relaxants. So that also has been taken away. Um, with the multiple drugs, we talked about that previously, the polydrugging. I tell you, one of the questions that I wish I had an answer for that I get a lot from people is, what do I withdraw from first? Um, people are in multiple are being polydrugged and trying to figure out where do I start? And they can't get help. They go to psychiatrists, they go to everybody, and nobody seems to help them because most of them are telling them, you don't need to withdraw, you can stay on. And again, withdrawal is your choice. Nobody you know, don't forget, I'm not a medical professional. 
and I never claim to be, and none of this is medical advice. Um, and I would never give advice on withdrawal. I never encourage anybody to withdraw. I will talk to you about the facts about benzos and what they might do long-term and dependence that might occur. But I'm not telling anybody withdrawal. It's a personal decision between you and your doctor. That being said, if you do choose to withdraw, what do you withdraw with first? Um, John State, who I know you heard speak at the annual meeting for those who tuned in, He's battling that. It's like he's trying to withdraw from one drug or not the other. Um, you know, do I withdraw the benzo first because it's the one that might be causing the dependence more uh, more long term than maybe an SSRI, an SNRI or polystropic, um, psychotropic, sorry, not polytropic, psychotropic. Um, or is it better to start with one of those because we can withdraw from those and then go to the It's I can't advise you on that and I can't even give answers on that because I don't really know. And it does seem to differ based on the, on, on the physician or the psychiatrist who's working with it. But I think the one thing that we got to come back to is that's where we need the research. God, we need research on not just proving, which we've already done in many research studies, that these cause dependence and cause long-term complications. That's there. We got that evidence. That's why the FDA came out with that statement last fall, actually giving the black box warning on benzodiazepines. But it's also that the... Um, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's one of my brain walls right there. I was talking about something and I just hit the wall. Um, anyway, so maybe I'll take it to God. You know, we were just talking about that, how this may not have affected me very much, but that just shows you that I still um, can be right in the middle of a conversation. And um, I totally lose that train of thought. I didn't used to be that way, but. But I'm gaining it back and I'm not trying to be dour. The last thing I want to do is try to give people, you know, say, hey, look at D, he still suffers. And that's going to be me because it's not. Okay, we are all different. And I screwed up. I did a lot of mistakes along the way and I had a lot of complications. So please know that. Uh, let's go back here. So um, backing up to that first one we were talking about, um, what was it here? Oh, nerve pain gone was from Bernadette. She goes, sinus issues and pressure is much better. Um, I think. Okay, so Bernadette was saying, do you have nerve pain and has it gone? Um, nerve pain, let's see. I had, I do have nerve pain and I have random pain. Um, actually, the nerve pain was often sometimes in my chest. It was sometimes in my arm. It was actually one of the causes why I would get so many EKGs along the way. Um, I was, you know, heart attack. I was always afraid of for that. Um, just the random pains. I still get them. Thank God they are very infrequent now. They do come along now and then. And honestly, when they hit, it's like, oh, yeah. And I just ignore it. Um, but of course, if it's much more severe than that, that doesn't work. And they were back in the early days of my withdrawal. I did have some serious nerve pain where I couldn't sleep because the pain was so rough. Um, but Thankfully, now I would say the vast majority of my nerve pain has gone. Um, I am pretty comfortable most of the time. Most of my lingering effects are in the cognitive area, anxiety, cognitive, and abdominal um, pelvic floor dysfunction. I have, um, you know, urinary and ongoing complications. I never had um, incontinence before. I, I don't have incontinence, but I have the, the, the frequency. Let's put it that way, frequency to urinate. Um, and that has probably been the greatest limitation on me right now. 
And I'm working with it and I'm trying to improve that area. And I think I need to go back to PT and try to do some more with that. Um, but it's pelvic floor dysfunction. And we've started to link that to benzodiazepine withdrawal. And it's starting to make a lot of sense. Um, and people are starting to get help for it. So that's the one that I think lingers with me more. But for, for, for specific nerve pain, no, my nerve pain came on quickly at the beginning and has, I would say, 98% abated and it's gone by. So it's a good question. Thanks. Um, what has Ed got here? Ed has said, how about upper back pain ache that comes and goes and radiates down your legs and up into your head? This has been with me most of withdrawal on and off. That's, oh, I'm so sorry, Ed. I know that's, um, I know people that have had that. I have had back pain, but I don't believe my back pain was, I don't know if I can see me. Hang on, let me adjust my camera a little bit. There we go. <laughs> I think the comment kind of cuts me off. Um, I have back pain, but just because I've had back pain, I've had it prior to, and it didn't get better during benzo withdrawal, but it stuck with me. Um, really long torso. My dad has chronic back pain. I kind of inherited it. But I have not had like the sciatica kind of pain or the shooting pain as much now. Um, I did do a lot of massage during my withdrawal when I was getting those pains and the different pain and, and actually some of the nerve pain that um, Bernadette was talking about. And my massage therapist would work through it a lot. She would actually find that and she would find the spots in my neck or in my upper back that were shooting down my leg. She could recreate it. Um, which was really nice and then actually helped loosen it. And I think that helped me through it. Not saying advising that that's the right thing for everybody, but I did work through that a little bit. Um, don't know if that helps or not, but I, the nerve pain, I know some people have the burning skin. I didn't have that. Thank God. Um, some people have the chronic pain. Some people have severe back pain like yourself. And, um, these are the ones that can make it so debilitating for us and have it make it so difficult for us to try to even continue our life to any degree because they are so overwhelming. Thankfully, most of the more severe things like hallucinations, like um, seizures for the extreme, like um, severe nerve pain are usually short-lived. Um, and I'm hoping that's the case for you too, Ed. Um, so hopefully they, they, um, they pass quickly. Uh, let's see what we got here, new comments. Oh, we got new comments down below, okay. Um, Did you, okay, here we go. This is from New York, New York. Did you have any blurred or double vision issues? Yes, actually I did. Um, I still have some nerve issues, some vision issues, but most of those have cleared up. I think my vision issues are now with progressive, I have progressive contacts that I usually wear, but lately the reason I have my glasses on today is because my contacts are not working for me very well. And so I'm going to try to get those. So speaking of vision problems, I don't think, I don't think mine are related to benzos ongoing ones. I think it's more progressive lenses as I age and that's what's causing the problem. But I had vision problems and vision problems are common um, in benzo withdrawal. So that is one of those things to, um, to consider. So yeah, it does happen. It usually does cl clear up for most of the people I have talked to mine cleared up. Um, and sometimes it can also be linked to migraines. And so that's something else. I had my very first migraine in benzo withdrawal. I had never had one before. Um, and mine was a vision migraine. Um, my wife is a migraine sufferer. So she walked me through it. But I had a vision migraine. And it was it's pain-free, this one that I had. I know that's not the case for a lot of migraines. Mine was pain-free. 
And um, but she told me to go lay down, dark room, don't do anything, just rest and let it fade. Um, but I couldn't focus on anything. I I was literally not able to focus. So whether that was just a vision issue or that was the migraine, but I do tie it to a migraine. So and that happened, I think, three times total. And I haven't had them since. So thankfully, those came and went. So with that regard, I'm hoping that that's the same case for your uh, vision issues. So uh, let's see here. Um, Winnie's mentioned that she um, does a lot of physio and chiro for muscles and nerve pain. It helps a lot. Yeah, I did chiro. Uh, my wife is at, swears by chiropractic. Um, I stopped doing some of the chiropractic, but I did a lot of massage. I tried acupuncture during mine. I tried about everything I could to get help. Um, I tried PT, physical therapy. Unfortunately, I had to stop physical therapy. And this is one thing that's good to mention, I think, for, for many of us. And that is be careful how far you push yourself. Um, we are healing. Our bodies are healing. And not just our nerves are healing, but also our muscles are. I pushed myself too far. I pulled muscles, even though tore a muscle at one point. Physical therapists, most of the time, just like doctors, don't seem to know about this issue, don't know about benzos. And we need to train them along the way. I know this sucks. It's not right. The doctor should know, the therapist should know, but they don't. We have to be the ones who are educated, who help guide them. And so I went into physical therapy and they did too much too quick and re-injured um, my body while I was in the middle of um, acute withdrawal. And that's one of the things we got to be careful of is how far we let people push us. Um, in yoga, the same thing. I was doing a lot of yoga and the yoga teachers would try to push me too far. Our bodies are extremely tight, can be very locked up during this time. And we got to be careful how far. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And stretching is excellent. But listen to your body. Please listen to your body if you decide to do exercise and if you decide to do stretching um, or anything like that. And listen to it when it says, ouch, I don't want to go any further. Don't keep pushing like you would normally in like a high um, extreme workout. We've got to listen to our bodies because we can injure our body. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, Bernadette mentioned also that um, she has incontinence. Thank you, Bernadette. I know it's not always easy for us to share this, but it wasn't the first time I told everybody on the podcast. But, you know, it's just something we're all dealing with. So it, it makes sense. Um, Winnie mentioned that she has a migraine every day. God, yeah, I can't imagine. Like I said, I do not know what a real migraine feels like. I will say that up front because mine was just a vision only. I did not have the pain. I have seen my wife go through them, though, and I don't ever want to go through what she's gone through with her migraine. So I am really sorry, Winnie. I hope you can find um, some type of, of, of treatment that can help. Uh, Bernadette also has had migraines. Um, tolerance before she cold turkeyed and she had a few headaches since but no migraines it's interesting that um how sometimes actually some of our symptoms you know ease at different stages and come and go like she mentioned she had them intolerance but didn't have them after you know and so things change and sometimes it's not always for the worse one thing that changed for me was i was on a protein um pump inhibitor which is you know a stomach medication for a long time and because um, I always had a bad stomach, I just said, you know, bad plumbing or whatever, but I had a bad stomach most of my life. And I took, um, you know, benzos for a long time. And when I came off them, I had severe stomach distress and benzo belly for a long time. But when that passed, I no longer needed my stomach medication. I am better digestively now <laughs> than I ever was even before benzos. I don't know why. 
but definitely while I was on them was probably when I wasn't good. But when I withdrew, I got better. Some t- things do improve. Um, so it's something we got to pay attention to. It's not always nine, you know, hundred percent horrible. Every now and then there's some wins through it. Um, so here's one from Winnie. She said she pulled stuff. My physio knew about the mental side of benzos, but no idea about the physical. She knows now and got her mother-in-law after them. <laughs> um, you know, that's a real good point, Winnie, that I've said this before, you know, how do we change the medical culture? And that's what we're working on. We're doing prescriber ed. We're doing all kinds of stuff at the Benzo Work Group, and we're trying to do what we can. I know the Alliance for Benzodiazepines and Best Practices is doing a lot on their end at educating doctors, and BIC is doing a lot on helping to educate the medical community. And we're really trying to get it out there. But we have a lot of power. And I know this isn't what we think we should have to do, and we shouldn't have to do this. But every doctor you go to that may not know about this, that you show via your symptoms and what you're going through, is another doctor who now knows. I can count three, three total medical professionals that I have changed their mind about benzodiazepines. That's a change. Those are changes we're making. My current nurse practitioner who I go and see, she says she now rarely prescribes benzos and only in extreme cases. And it's because I was her patient. We make a difference when we go through this if that medical professional is willing to listen. So before you jump down me, I want you to know, yes, that can't happen with everyone, but it's when you are working with who's willing to listen to you and see what you're going through. So but we do make a difference as we go to these doctors. Um, so yeah, still chatting there within the room amongst each other. So any other questions coming through? I might have missed something along the way, but um, this is great. I, it's fun to have, it looks like I have kind of the same group back tonight that I had last night. Thank you all. And hopefully we'll get some new people the next time we do this, but this is cool. So um yeah, I had another question here from Anonymous about um, the dreaded answer, but where can I go from help, for help? Um, Anonymous said, I ask in hopes that yes will be the answer one day and that some place has been discovered to help those of us who are debilitated. I'm an extreme case. Um, that's a real good, we just talked about that a little bit, and that's what we're doing at the work group. Um, the thing I'm so excited about there is, and I can tell you a little bit now, we just got funding. Uh, it's, I haven't said it yet because officially, because we got the last minute funding, but it's in fiscal review right now. But we have been approved on the funding to start our peer support training curriculum program. This is exciting. And this is going to be a certified peer support, benzodiazepine peer support training um, certification. When I say certified, it means that people can be hired as peer support people to go work at facilities to provide benzodiazepine support. That's kind of the long-term goal here. This isn't all going to be volunteer in the end. We're trying to get people. But since we're starting in Colorado, we're working with um, COPA, which is one of our organizations here in Colorado, to make sure it is certified. We're working with some outside agencies, two different agencies that already do recovery coaches. We're taking their training as a prescription um, addiction recovery coaches to learn what they do. And then we are going to create that benzodiazepine 
um, additional modules. So this will be on the top of it so that people will learn who become um, addiction, you know, our prescription recovery coaches that benzodiazepines are different. They are different. This is dependence. The addiction language and processes don't work. And so this will be a module that will be available to them and taught to them. I mean, it's pretty cool. And I know I mentioned hinted about it before, but um, this is one of the things doing. You also mentioned about this last one from Anonymous about where to go to for help. One of the one of the dreams we have, and it's on a five year plan right now, I think, but maybe sooner is to develop the first benzodiazepine specific clinic, just benzo clinic in the U.S. here. We're hoping to create one in Colorado here within the next few years and then be able to pilot that throughout the country and hopefully throughout the world but actually have clinics that are specific to benzodiazepines that can work on an Ashton-based, that type of slow tapering process and use evidence-based procedures to help people recover. But this takes a long time. It takes a lot of money and it's been an uphill climb. So I just wanted to give that just so we kind of have some idea of what's going on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, looks like Pam and Winnie are chatting. Great to see that. When he actually brought up something here with this chat, I want to mention that too. It says, when Dr. Ashton said it's okay to take a benzo for medical procedures, which she did in the Ashton manual, when he said that wasn't accurate for me, she said, I had my genes done and it said I should never take Versed or Midazolam. You know, I've, I've heard about the different gene tests. I haven't taken that, but I know some people have and have found that certain medications and certain supplements, you know, are things that they can't take. And that's, that's true. Um, we all have different genes. That goes back to the whole thing where everyone is different. There are supplements that I know people said they've taken through withdrawal that they swear helped them get through. And other people have taken the exact same supplements and said it sent them into an immediate wave and it was terrible. It really is a trial and error process for so many of us going through this, but I think that's a real good point. Ashton did mention that it was relatively safe. Um, I have same concerns. I'll admit, um, I have been asked in a medical procedure not too long ago about whether I needed, you know, something. And I would, I would have liked something to have calmed me down. I had some anxiety going to the procedure. I decided not to take the benzo because I said I'd rather have you knock me out because I just didn't want to take that chance. But you know, I think. Ashton knows what she's talking about, and I believe she's right in most cases, but I also understand us being cautious with that because we need to be cautious with what we put in our bodies. Our bodies are, again, I come back to this, no other word explains benzo withdrawal rather than hypersensitive. We are overreaction. I think overreactive was the word we were going to stick with because that has a better connotation to it, but we are overreactive. Every little thing sets us off physically and emotionally. We, our nervous system is on high alert. We're in a constant fight or flight situation. And our nervous system is just reacting in an extreme method to everything that comes along. And so if you look at most of the symptoms of benzo withdrawal and you look at their minor versions, you'll see that those are common usually to anxiety. And so these are just extreme and gone to the, you know, the utmost degree of what, of, um, of what a symptom can do. But this is what happens as we go along. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, what do we got here? So D, what, what do we do? Let's see here. Bernadette said, what do we do now though? My mornings are better, no depression. So what, what are you asking about? What do we say? But the obsessive thoughts, uh, hang on, are my worst symptom. Okay. 
lucid lane out of color. Oh, so, okay. So, and obsessive thoughts. So, you know, obsessive thoughts. Wow. That's a great one. Um, oh man, I, that's probably one of my biggest downfalls. And I think most of you know that and many of you have dealt with that too. Um, it's, it's, it's our biggest enemy because I have the looping thoughts. I have the ruminations. I have the obsessive thinking. It's whatever you call it. It's the same thing. It's not being able to turn our brains off and that our brains are go negative. It's that anxiety. It's that hopelessness. It's the, it's that engine of constant fear that's running. Oh my God, that was my worst enemy during withdrawal was I couldn't turn that brain off. I couldn't turn that cycle of negativity going, going constantly. And I, I get it. It's, it's one of those things that really makes all of this so much harder because we, we loop on the thoughts. We become obsessive, which creates more anxiety, which creates more symptoms, which then creates more anxiety and creates more looping thoughts, which then creates more symptoms. You see where I'm going here. And it can be a nightmare. It can really be a nightmare. But the best thing to do that I found, and I know this sounds trivial, was get busy. Um, I had to find something else to occupy my brain when I could. I had to get back to work. I started working on a book. So I wrote my book during my hardest points, hardest parts of withdrawal. I just kept going, finding research. And I wrote my book, Benzo Free, during that time. And then I did the podcast. And I started corresponding with each one of you. Honestly, that correspondence has been a lifesaver for me. And I've said that before to you all. Um, I can get on and chat with you about our symptoms and it keeps me busy and also do things that aren't related to this. Get out and do it. Just try to you know, spend time with your family if they're around or with friends or colleagues at work. Go out, enjoy nature, find things to get you out of that cycle. That cycle can be so debilitating. Just don't let it constantly control you. But the hardest parts for me were mornings. You know, I'd wake up early, I'd get some insomnia, I'd wake up at two, three, four in the morning, whatever, and my brain would kick in. And that's when it's hard. That's when it's really hard because you don't have as much stimulation to distract you at that point. And it gets really lonely and it gets really hopeless. Yeah, I get it. I get it. My wife is um, back in Colorado now, so I'm having a few of those mornings lately. <laughs> she had to go back for an appointment. I had to stay here and take my dad into the doctor next week. So, so I get it. You know, um, it, it can be hard. Let's see here. So not me wrote in. Hey, not me. How you doing? Haven't seen you for a little while. It's good to see you. Um, not me wrote in and said, is there long-term nerve damage from long-term benzo use? I wish I had a straightforward answer for you. Um, Long-term damage, yes. I think that's pretty obvious with those of us who have protracted withdrawal. I still have symptoms at seven years out. I would call that long-term damage. Permanent damage is the question that we, um, that we really need to answer here, and we really don't know. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, Professor Later, uh, Malcolm Later, did do some studies back in the 60s. There have been a few studies out there that have possibly showing a link that could be permanent. Um, benzodiazepines act on GABA-A receptors. Alcohol acts on GABA-A receptors. Alcohol does create permanent damage in some people. It might make sense that benzos can do that. That's the downside. The upside is I have seen people at 10 years, 9 years, 11 years come out and say, I am fully healed. 
and they couldn't say that before them. I think we heal for the most part. Maybe not 100%, maybe 95 I don't know. But I think we heal thoroughly in the end. I just think it can take a really, really long time for some of us. That's my two cents. So the truth is we don't have definitive studies that say at this point whether or not there is permanent damage. So uh, let's see here. Bernadette says D. See, I can now look for D and I can answer. More the OCD for her. Um, my looping and ruminating is much better. I got gotcha. you. Uh, you are right. Get busy. Yeah, I'll say. So the OCD, you know, I had some of that. I, I know people who have far more extreme OCD than I've had. Um, but I've always had some OCD, even pre-benzos. And yes, that does kick up too. Um, I always, OCD and the ruminations to me kind of link together because it's all part of that similar cycle, but I get it. Um, but yeah, I still have it. Um, I still have, you know, strange little routines that I do and I don't always remember I'm doing them and I have to keep doing them or I have to do something different um, and to pull myself out of that cycle, but I get it. I get it. Um, Pam mentioned that she has obsessive thoughts as well. Just terrible. You know, I want to take this opportunity just to say to Pam, hi, <laughs> and thank Pam so much for being on our show, um, last night. I think she was wonderful. I think she was amazing. Hope she'll come back and talk to everybody again. And I just wanted to give my heartfelt thanks to Pam for being on the show. Um, so, but she also has obsessive thoughts as well. And yeah, they are terrible. It's, it is. It can blow you away. So um, uh, Winnie actually said something positive here. Winnie piped in and said, bodies are meant to heal. I love that. Thank you, Winnie. And I agree. The human body is just amazing. It really is. It is amazing. We heal from some incredible um, injuries, whether it be chemical like benzodiazepine or physical like you know, a gunshot or, you know, what the one guy that lived with a spike through his brain um, and lived, you know, almost a full life with it. There's, we survive from so many things. Look at the broken bones we heal from. Look at people, you know, curing cancer and recovering from cancer. People, you know, recovering from so many things. Our bodies are amazing. I just think we got to do everything we can to help them. And that's why when I talk about withdrawal, I like to focus on the concept that withdrawal is our body's healing. I don't know if it works for you, and I think it's worked for some people and maybe not for others, but for me, it really worked because when I get that nerve pain that we were talking about earlier, when I get that muscle pain in the back that um, I was talking about, when we get all these different things that happen, it's a little less overwhelming. It's a little less debilitating, I believe, when I can say, oh, that's just my body telling me it's healing. I believe those are, are the pains. Those are growing pains, our healing pains that we're going through. It's more just a concept. Um, there's no science behind that. But we are healing. We're changing back. Our GABA receptors are switching back through homeostasis. And our body is readjusting to live without these drugs in our system. It just is a real slow, long process for some of us. So anyway, uh, okay, so we are going to close out because we are at almost eight o'clock here central. I'm central right now. So I want to wind up with a few things here. God, this has been fun. Thank you all for, for chatting and for um, 
corresponding. I think I think some of you all had more had had much more fun speaking to each other than to me, and that's great because actually I love that. I love that um, everybody is talking to each other via the chat, and we'll do more of these later. Um, I do want to say real quick before I say a few closing words that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. So that's the disclaimer. I can just say that there. Um, I thank you all for joining for the holiday podcast. Our next podcast will be in 2022. <laughs> um, hopefully early January, I'll get another one out there after the holidays, but I want everybody else to enjoy the holidays and um, just, just, you know, take care out there. Um, you know, this is a time, and we talked about this a little before, this is a time when it is wonderful and joyous and life-affirming for so many. And it is lonely, discouraging, and fear-causing for so many others. And it's such a dichotomy that we face during the holidays for so many people. So please, if you're like, um, smile was smiley was or somebody else and you have nobody i i'm here i'll listen write me um i try to get back to you as soon as i can on emails you have friends we're out there if it's getting bad let us know we'll do whatever we can to support each other in fact we're going to try to build more of a community here to see what we can do um and trying to support each other more and hopefully we'll start setting more of that up because you know we can rely on each other and we're that group that can support each other getting through here. And many of you are on the discussion boards and are already um, friends and partners with others. And I think that's great. And I'm so grateful. Um, but anyway, well, Shay or Shia, see, I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, <laughs> but um, wrote in and said, thank you, Dee. And since I hadn't seen you there before, I wanted just to mention, hey, um, yeah, there's a nice picture too. Wow. I love it. Um, but anyway, I want to thank you all for joining me today. We're going to have both these podcasts out on our carriers, on our podcast carriers tomorrow. I'm hopefully going to get those posted out there so people who just listen to the podcast on YouTube can hear it. And I will leave these both up, of course, on our website so you can always, I mean, on, on YouTube so you can always go out there. And Shaya, is that right? Shaya? S-H-A-Y-U-H to pronounce. Okay. Shaya. I, th I think I might have gotten that. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> Um, I try, but I don't always know. Anyway, thank you all. Thank you to all the people that um, were here and helped support and um, and shared and just everybody who's out there trying to help each other get through this. I'm going to sign off now and I want to let you know to please keep calm, taper slowly, take care of yourself, and try to have a wonderful holiday as best you can. I'll see you next time.